everybody. Welcome to the Vela News Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Delaney, here in Fayetteville, Arkansas, with our man, Greg Kaplan, to talk about, of course, the World Cyclocross Championships. Greg, what a weekend it was. Pretty amazing racing all around in Fayetteville. Now, on today's podcast, we're going to take a slightly different tack. First, we're going to dive into some of our uh, analysis and highlights of each of the seven events. Uh, And then instead of a single interview, uh, we're going to bring you listeners the uh, an audio buffet of sorts as we grab little snippets of uh, interviews with not only the freshly minted world champions, but also fans on the course who had flown in from Flanders. Some had driven in from the north, the south, the east, the west, fans from all over the world uh, descending on Fayetteville, and then just talking to some locals about uh, their take on what it was like to have the world championships in northwest Arkansas. So that's, that's the format for this pod. So let's start off, Greg. Uh, let's paint a picture for listeners about what the course was like now many folks probably watched it on uh, GCN or, or flow sports or saw some photos but let's let's paint a picture of the course it was just a little over three kilometers and uh, a, a completely manicured course you know built onto the top of a of a hilltop in Centennial Park what were some of the the key features for you the Stonehenge which comes about 500 meters, not even, maybe even 300 meters before the starting line, finish line straight away was a fun feature. But before that, midway through the course, the stairs and then the massive drop after the stairs definitely was really, really, really exciting. What seemed to split the races apart most was a small berm that came in the fir- end of the first third, end of the first kilometer of the race. So that little 180 or so that had the, is that what you're talking about? Or is it you know, a tight, a super tight corner that came, there was like a, sh- I'm, I'm gesturing with my hands here, like that helps on a podcast. You know, you know, maybe what, like a 10 foot rise, but super steep. And then just over that hill, you know, four feet or so, you've got to do a, a tight 180. So it seems like in most of the races, that, that was the one, spot that caused folks to to bobble the first rider or two through would get a clean line but then it was this accordion effect if it would just come to almost a, a track stand and so riders part way up the hill would uh, often get their wheel taken out by someone in front coming to a to a stop the savviest of riders were using that to split the field apart so for a couple of the races where there were three or four in the front the front end of the race would actually use that to escape well, the back end of that accordion was still stuck either with each other. Yeah, just just sitting there looking their watches, waiting for the for the time to pass. Yeah, so there was that part. There was some tight S bins uh, after that. The run ups, the run up rather was you know forty or so, pretty good size stairs uh, that made for a great visual. Uh, a, uh, a flat at the top of that, and then a, a sharp drop off course organizers added a bump at the bottom of that uh, because the course was running so fast at the World Cup that was held back uh, over the winter. And I tried to you know, add some time to the course, which made for a nice little launch ramp for some folks. We saw uh, a number of people in the warm-ups, you know, kind of airing it out, swinging the back wheel around uh, on warm-ups. And then we saw a few race winners showboating much to the delight of fans including tom pidcock on the on the last lap he was 
he was getting Cindy there. That was fun to see. He made sure to show off for the fans in his last lap. Yeah, including doing not only a Superman across the line, but a one-handed Superman. I've I've never seen that particular maneuver uh, at a world championship for sure. And then, then the first part of the course, we're jumping all over the place, but the first part of the course, straight shot, uh, start, finish, shoot, uh, then a twisty downhill section into the trees. It was fairly straightforward, but we saw you know a few riders lose a front wheel uh, coming through there. And then the one climb of the day was still in that first half. In some of the races, that's where some of the riders try to split the field on that climb, but it wasn't quite long enough or steep enough to be significant. And riders who attack there wound up losing some of their legs on those attacks. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they would, yeah, they would drop someone with the attack, often themselves. And in fact, when the men's elite this afternoon, we saw Michael Van Thorn out do just that, one of the many Belgian riders uh, to swing at Pidcock, gave it some stick there, strung it out, and then Pidcock attacked over the top of Van Thorn out, and uh, that's where his leads began, and he just uh, added to it from there. So the individual races at this year's event, we had six medal events, juniors, under 23s and elites, female and male. Then we also had one non-medal event, the team relay. Uh, it was a good bit of schoolyard fun that uh, different nations took with uh, varying levels of seriosity. What was your take, Greg Kaplan? Team relay for cyclocross, a good thing, a bad thing, or something altogether different? It looked like it, it's a, a race in the making, an experiment that has potential, but just because of the number of teams entered, it really didn't have, uh, I'll say, a championship feel to it. It was a lot of fun. Riders were super, super pumped to be able to get a hot lap in and check out the course, but it wasn't. It didn't have a kind of a critical mass of a championship-level race, and maybe that's for uh, this is a Friday, the day before the women's race, and the women want to save their legs, or it could have been for who knows, weather reasons, but it didn't quite have uh, that that big, big race feel to it. Big, big race feel, nor critical mass, it did not have. There were seven teams, and four of them were from two nations. So U.S. had U.S. A squad and U.S. B squad, same for Canada. Then the uh, Czech Republic, Italy, and Belgium were the other three nations indulging in these reindeer games. And the format initially was six riders per team, each of whom would do one lap, and as you come through the start-finish, you tag your compatriot on the shoulder, and off they go. Due to COVID and a uh, lack of interest from nations, UCI at the last minute uh, pulled it back from six riders to four riders. So they announced this on Thursday. The race was on a Friday. So there were four riders, thus four laps, seven teams. So, yeah, it wasn't a huge event, but... I thought it was a fun thing to watch. And uh, some writers, you know, such as Eric Bruner, U.S. national champ, said, you know what? This wasn't a high-stress thing, a high-intensity thing. And you know what? That's okay. Like, it was a fun bike race. And what's wrong with having fun in a bike race? So I think that was a, that was a nice little, uh, you know, aperitif to the serious bike racing to come. So that kicked off the next day, Saturday, we had three races. 
you wrote the report for the junior women where a familiar name waltzed away with the title. I don't so much as, uh, as Zoe waltzed as she did steamrolled away from the competition. Punched, she, smashed. She's the current road junior road world champion. And she definitely used some of her power skills from racing the road to ride away in the cross race. And she separated herself and soloed the better part of the race to the win. Yeah, well deserved. Sometimes in in races, you can in road races, you know, you can say, "Oh, there was there was luck. There was this. There was that." Uh, in this event, there was none of that. It was a display of class and power and technique. Well done. Zoe Backstead. U23 men were up next. That was all blue all the time. Belgium swept the podium. That's not a surprise. The writer who won was a bit of a surprise to the point where in the press room, a few of the Belgian journalists were saying, we didn't expect this guy to win. Joren Waisure. I may be murdering his last name, and if so, I apologize, dear sir. Uh, he went clear. Uh, his compatriot, Emil Verstringe, came through 10, 12 seconds behind, clapping for his countrymen. And a young man by the name of Thibaut Nice, a last name certainly familiar to cross fans, uh, was third. I was asking all three of them on the podium, so what was the, what was the team plan before? And Jonas said, well, to win. And then it was quiet. And then Nice helpfully jumped in and said, well, there, there's not so much team strategies at the start of a cyclocross race like there is at a road race. You know, it's basically if your buddy gets up the road, you just don't fuck it up for him. So I thought, okay, well well put, sir. And, and Belgium certainly did not F it up in this instance, taking one, two, and three for the U23 podium. It was an elegant response, especially given what happened at the recent road worlds in Belgium. <laughs> where it wasn't exactly a Belgium sweep. The women's elite race, a show of force between great all-time riders, and not, I'm not even have to say arguably the GOAT, but indisputably the greatest cyclocross racer of all time, uh, now in fact as well as uh, in argument, Mariana Voss, eight times world champion. She and Lucinda Brand... Uh, went head-to-head, each trying to drop the other throughout the the race. No one else was really in contention. Uh, Their countrywoman, Celine Del uh, Carmen Alvarado, was there initially, but pretty soon it was down to just the two of them. What did you think of of how that played out? There was some uh, back and forth about, oh, Voss wasn't pulling enough. You know, Brand was doing too, too much work. But what was your take? They don't ride for the same trade team, so you know that one rider was not going to protect the other rider. And we've seen this played out earlier this season, off and on, with Voss and Brand trading wins at a variety of races, including the first race that started out in Wisconsin. But then when it was clear the two of them were away, that it was going to be either Voss dropping Brand, and she definitely tried. Sure, on the hill, she she gave it some gas and... Brandt was just right there on her. But when she couldn't, it was pretty clear that the rider coming into the finish straightaway in first position was at a big disadvantage. And Voss, with a lot of track racing experience, knew how to get behind Brand in the last 200 meters. 
And in the last 50 meters, she came around her like, like nobody's business. Yeah, it's, it's a game of chicken that we saw in a, in a few of the races. Uh, yeah, no one wants to be first position, uh, but no one wants to be caught flat-footed when the sprint starts. So I, I, my take was hats off to Voss. The object is not to pull the most in a race. The object is to cross the line first. And cross the line first, Voss did eight times world champion, more than anyone, male or female, in history. That was a, a pleasure to witness. Today, Sunday, again, three races, junior men, under 23 women, and then, of course, the men elite. Uh, the junior men race, good times, good jumps. Jan Christen of Switzerland took the win. I don't know if he hit, jumped at every lap, but at least a few laps was sending it, kicking the rear wheel out in style to the cheers of the crowd. Nathan Smith of Great Britain doing the same. He came in third. Aaron Dox, he was crying at the end. Of Belgium, he felt he had the strongest legs. He felt he had the strongest sprint. Luck did not smile on Mr. Dox, so he was not all smiles. But the fans certainly enjoyed that race. Dox was crying at the finish line. He let out the sprint. He let the other riders get on his wheel. And when he opened up, he had nothing to give. And the Swiss rider, Christian, came around him really, really, really fast. Yeah, Dox blinked first. Arguably was slightly stronger. Christian was saying he didn't have complete faith in his sprint. That's why he tried to attack earlier with a lap to go. He tried to jump his opponents and popped out of his pedal and nearly crashed himself into the barriers, was able to save that. But... uh it's not just about confidence. It's about who gets the line first. And that was, that was a fun one to watch. U23 women was up next. Whereas U23 men was all Belgium. U23 women was all Dutch women. Fim Van Impel, Puck Petirse, and Sheeran Van Anna Rouge rode away with the race. It was a, it was a three-woman race. From the get-go. It was until the very end of the last lap when Van Empel stumbled in that little berm we were talking about before, which separated riders, and she gapped Sheeran, which allowed Puck to get away. And then it was just a chase of the other riders to kind of bring her back. But it was a slight technical mistake, or maybe she was just tired, but it's what decided the race. It was still a a uh, one, two, three sweep by the Dutch women. But that was the deciding factor with just a kilometer to go. Yeah, Puck seemed like she was strongest throughout the day. Uh, Sharon was able to get back on terms with her. Puck let out the sprint from a long way out and was perhaps the exception to the rule of the day uh, where she who leads out does not win because Puck went from way out and when she did by a bike throw, Always good to see at the, the end of a long, well-fought race. Perfect timing for that win. Perhaps the only thing cooler, more entertaining to see than a bike throw to win a race would be a one-armed Superman to win the race. Now, whereas some of the earlier races had complete dominance by nations, the men's elite race had complete dominance by one man by the name of Tom Pidcock. 
Pitcock was totally outnumbered. There were probably eight Belgian guys chasing after him and a couple of French guys and certainly some Dutch guys. Lars Vanderhaar was trying to keep with him. But after the second lap, Pitcock started to squeeze and squeeze. And by the third lap, he was at a time trial mode and just started to ride further and further and further away from the field. Yeah, it seemed like early on, Pitcock was content to follow wheels. He was always just hovering there, like second or third wheel. You know, the Belgians would send rider after rider after rider, and Pitcock would calmly mark them. And I was, I was enjoying watching the, the facial expressions and the body language of the various riders. You know, the, as you were mentioning, the hill wasn't very long, but it was still, these guys are racing flat out. It was an anaerobic effort for sure to get up and over that. And whereas most of the riders would, you know, their mouths were agape, they were flinging the bike desperately. The Pitcock, I, I don't know if I could, if his mouth was open more than just a crack for, for most of the race. His upper body was completely relaxed. Uh, notice at one point, you know, coming through some of the S-bins, you know, riders are just desperate to stay on the wheel. And he, he took his hand and he just slightly adjusted the jersey on the, on his sleeve just to get it just so. It seemed like he, he was a completely other level to the guys who were desperately racing against him. That was, that was a, a show of force that was fun to watch. He may have tipped his hand and said he came off a week training camp riding on the road. And maybe some of that helped his legs for cross because he definitely made it look about as comfortable as being uncomfortable could be in the middle of a race. For sure. And the, yeah, cycle cross is a fun thing to watch because road fitness helps. Mountain bike handling helps. And, and neither one alone is enough uh, to put you on the podium. You know, both Lars Vanderhaar, who was second, and Eli Iserbit, who were third, are cyclocross specialists. Those cyclocross seasons is, is the time when you will hear those gentlemen's names. Uh, whereas Pidcock of Ineos Grenadiers fame, you will you've obviously heard of him throughout the road season, and he won the Olympic mountain bike race. It's just a complete package there, and uh, complete dominance around the Fayetteville circuit. He owned it. He owned it. All right, folks, that's enough of Greg and I yapping about the racing. Now let's hear from some of the folks who were there, the freshly minted world champions, some of the fans who traveled from around the world, and some of the locals about what their take was on the 2022 World Cyclocross Championships. These two gray-haired fans made a transatlantic trip to watch the Cross Worlds, only to be carted when they tried to purchase Miller Lite. Okay, where are you guys from? Belgium. We are from where, Belgium. Where in Belgium? Flanders. 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 The heart of Belgium. The heart of Belgium. The heart right. of cycling Belgium. Yes, yes yeah, sir. Yeah. yeah, what do you think of uh, a race here in Fayetteville? Uh, very good. Very, uh, very good. The track is beautiful track. Very beautiful track. The area. But is... it's difficult to get a beer here. <laughs> yes, you were discarded. I saw you. They didn't yeah. believe you were under yeah. number 21. Yeah. 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 I had to verify, I had to make a verification if I am older than 21. Look. You're a handsome young man. You had to prove, prove your age. Who, who's going to win today, gentlemen? Uh, oh, the women's race. race. No, Marianne Voss, Lucinda Brand. Yeah, that's my the favorite. Netherlands. Yeah. Marianne Voss, I think, from yeah. the Netherlands. And tomorrow it will be professionals in Israel. Yeah. You heard it here first. Thank yeah. you, gentlemen. Enjoy the race. Tom Pidcock never seemed like he was under pressure 
during the race. I asked him about that and about how he responded to the Belgian tactics, including an attack by Michael Van Thornout. Also talked to him about the dynamics of preparing for a road season versus a cyclocross season and how that all ties together, especially with the absence of Wout Van Aert, who skipped what could have been his fourth world title to focus on the road. Thomas, you never looked like you were under pressure. Was there any point during the race where you felt stressed? Um, yeah, the, well, I think after the, the first uh, half lap and I thought, yeah, I knew I had really good legs and and I was uh, then just, yeah, really aware of, uh, yeah, the kind of the tactics that Belgium were, yeah, kind of uh, trying to play. And, and uh, yeah, after, when Michael went, he did it. He, did, he went really hard up the climb, and, and then I thought, um, yeah, if I just jump over the top of him now, everyone's kind of, yeah, suffering. So it'd be a good time to go, and, and, and everyone expects the climb to be the place to go. But actually, yeah, a lot of time can be made on the other parts of the course as well. Um, and like Lars said, yeah, those last two laps with that hill, they're uh, it's a fast course, but yeah, it's a really uh, physical one. As it, yeah, you could see why the race split up so much. No, Tom, some riders who were doing the road season skipped Worlds to prepare for road season. You talked about how last road season set you up for success here. How does your training for Worlds set you up or put you behind for your road season ahead? Well, I mean, I guess cross will mean that I kind of lack a little bit of in hours, um, but I have the intensity. So, yeah, it's just kind of a different way of going into the, into the road. Um, I'm not going to have a very long break and kind of have a break in the middle of the year. So, yeah, I think it's not, it's not so bad, really. Eli Isabit was third in the men's elite behind Lars Vanderhaar. Eli was asked how road racing could help him prepare for such a fast course and whether doing bigger road races could help. He spoke about that. And then Lars took issue with the question, suggesting that, hey, maybe some of these roadies should come do some cyclocross races instead of we cyclocross racers being asked, why aren't we doing more road racing? Uh, yeah, the course was fast due to the weather, I think. So um, if it was raining uh, the whole week, we had another race. But um, it's just how it is now. Um, but we had some fast races in Europe as well. And I think um, the fast racing suits me pretty good. Um, I think the same type of riders are, were in the front today. So um, we are all, um, I think, riders who, who do their best at, uh, yeah, hilly fast courses. Um, but it was a really nice venue, um, great organization. And uh, I think that's the most important part of, of doing a world championship. So um, I'm not complaining about that. And. Um, about the road racing, yeah, maybe um, it's a trend now. I just want to, yeah, maybe <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult because uh, with our team, we're not really um, allowed to do some big races. Maybe I just have to push on training a little bit harder, but um, I don't know if I um, would get better if I ride uh, a lot of road races. races. But it's something to look into, and um, I just want to push myself and, and get better for next season. And um, how we do it is, is at this moment not known yet, but um, 
maybe that's a that's an op an option an option, but um, yeah, we just have to see and evaluate after the after the season. Maybe all the road riders should do cross then, because Mathieu and Wout are also beating all the cross all the road riders, and uh, we've got a bloody uh, Olympic champion here on a mountain bike. So maybe you should start asking some questions to the road riders uh, instead of asking us to go on the road. Brendan Quirk is the CEO of USA Cycling and a longtime Arkansas native. He thanked the men's elite podium for coming to his home state. Thank you, gentlemen, for putting on such an amazing spectacle today. It was six amazing races over the last couple of days, and the, and the relay was also fantastic. Uh, it's so great to have a world championship back in the U.S. Uh, for our membership, the amateur racing membership, uh, it's been two tough years with COVID. Having this race here, having such an amazing turnout is a great springboard for amateur racing to come back in the U.S. Um, so really, really grateful for the trouble um, that, that all of our European friends had to go through to get here. It was an amazing weekend. It exceeded all expectations. And um, yeah, really appreciate it. Rassan Bahadi is a 10 times national champion, a California resident, and certainly no stranger to Arkansas, uh, having done a lot of racing there back in his day. And now he owns uh, an Airbnb up in Bentonville. He was on site, and here's what he had to say about the course. No one asked me for a race prediction. <laughs> Rasan Bahati, what is your race prediction? Oh, come on. <laughs> you know, someone that's really, really fast that makes no mistakes is going to win the race. That's expert selection. What do you think of Fayetteville? Is this, is this is your first time here? Yeah, it's a unique area. I like that. You know, it's kind of starting to come together as one big cycling community, uh, buttoned up against Bentonville and Fayetteville and all the towns in between. So, yeah, super dope. All right. Thank you, son. Enjoy the race. Okay, thank you. After absolutely dominating the women's junior race on Saturday, Zoe Baxted came out to cheer on her trade team teammates and compatriots in Sunday's racing. Greg Kaplan from Vail News, and I'm standing here with Zoe Baxted. How you feeling a day after your win? Um, I mean, I'm pretty hyped. I'm kind of excited to be out here watching my teammates, watching the national team, watching my trade teammates racing. So, yeah, I mean, you can tell in my voice I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty happy. So, yeah. What do you think of the fans here? <laughs> I mean, they're absolutely crazy. There's cowbells everywhere. And in my race yesterday, there wasn't a single point on the course where I couldn't hear people shouting my name or shouting GB or anything like that. So it really, really pushed me on yesterday. And I'm really grateful for it. Like racing in the States? Oh, Absolutely insane. I loved every minute of it. Gonna come on back? Definitely, 100%. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much. Thanks. Seemingly everyone was talking about the dynamics of the Lucinda Brand Mariana Voss race when it came down to the wire and they were playing cat and mouse. Here is what Voss herself had to say about that. Well, yeah, we know each other so well that it's really, really difficult because I know what she's probably going to do and she knows what I'm probably going to do so that makes it really really difficult to, to beat each other um, and I think that makes it for an interesting watching race but also a nerve-wracking race ourselves in the last lap uh, I knew it was going to be very hard to get away so and then I just tried to stay calm and try not to make any mistakes and try to be focused and, and ready for a final sprint. More than 7,000 fans were out on Saturday and an estimated 8,500 to 9,000 fans were out on Sunday. Here's one of them. So this is Greg Kaplan from Vela News. I'm here with Keller Davis. And where are you from? 
Missoula, Montana. And what do you think of uh, what do you think of this whole World Championship setup? It's been amazing. Super fortunate to be here. Racing's exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, the weather's perfect. Maybe not what the Euros expected, but makes for some really fast racing. Do you have a favorite for today? Uh, we were really here yesterday to see Voss win, so that was super exciting. Um, but probably Pickcock today as well. Dale Price is a Fayetteville resident who was working security at the event. You ever seen a second cross race before? Yes. Yeah. What are your What are your thoughts on having the World Championships here in Fayetteville? Oh, I think that it's uh, great for the community. I think that it's uh, it's one where it'll bring different, uh, not only different countries, but you know, people from across the country here to Northwest Arkansas. You know, if for nothing else, see the the area. Yeah. You know. Um, I think as far as expanding the bike community, uh, I think just from the turnout, it shows that the community is, is loving something like this. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful place to ride a bike. We're just out this morning, just riding on the country roads. It's yeah. just quiet roads. Well, you can see like the weather today is perfect for this right here. Yeah. Uh, now, I understand a lot of the bikers being from other countries like it a little muddier, but <laughs> <laughs> today is the perfect day. So it's like the... Uh, the ultimate finish for this time of year, I guess. If you were listening to this podcast, chances are you saw the photos of Tom Pidcock coming across the line, not only in a Superman position, his stomach on the saddle, his legs extended behind him, but a one-armed Superman position. What was he doing? Why did he do this? Here's what the man had to say. Um, reports are that someone made a bet with you or kind of uh, goaded you on for the Superman thing across the line. <laughs> Where did that come from? Can you tell uh, us? Well, it's what I used to do when I was a junior. And I thought, ah, you know, the American fans, they love uh, cool stuff, don't they? So uh, I thought, you got to adapt to the, to the, to the crowds, don't you? So. And that will do it for us this week, folks. Thank you for listening. We are back next week with the brand new editor-in-chief of Vela News. So tune in to meet that mysterious person. And in the meantime, have a great week. And thank you for listening to the Vela News Podcast. <laughs>